0: Do you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5:15 through 33. It's on page 978 of the Bible in your pew. Ephesians 5:15 through 33. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. O Lord, bless our understanding, our meditation of your word And our obedience to this word. May it live in our everyday walk. May we, Lord, exhibit the glory of this teaching from your word. And it is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. John Weiser was telling us just the other day about seeing the Grand Canyon, which I know many of you have have seen. It's amazing in an instance like that, you think, how many people have gone to the Grand Canyon or how many people have gone to the Rocky Mountains, to Rocky Mountain National Park, just to see the majestic views. The same thing closer to where I live uh, in Alabama. We would go up into the Smoky Mountains many uh, Octobers, and your breath is just taken away with the sheer beauty of... The vistas that came before you, driving up Highway 81 all the way up uh, through Tennessee and Virginia. We did that one time in every curve of the highway. There was a new form of, of glory before us. It shows how we're made for majesty. We're just made for it. We're made to be amazed. And we have this capacity for wonder and joy and delight in the things that God has made in things that i would call profound you know the the to us the grand canyon is absolutely profound in its uh, sheer size and beauty and here in this passage we have several things that are set before us in fact god uh, paul even uses the word profound when he expresses The mystery that is here. And so, I invite you to a different kind of Grand Canyon. A different kind of Rocky Mountain National Park. As we look at these profound things that are in this passage. We'll look first at the profound union that we have with Christ. Then the profound love that Christ has for us. Then there's a profound outcome In our lives, as a result of what He has done for us. And finally, there is a profound uh, commitment on our part, a profound commitment, a, a profound imitation on our part of being like Christ. So, a profound union, a profound love, a profound outcome, and then a profound imitation. That we have of Jesus Christ. Now, he says in uh, this passage in verse thirty one, thirty after quoting verse in verse thirty one, Genesis chapter uh, two, this mystery is profound and you feel like he's talking about the mystery of a man and a woman being joined. But then in the next breath, he says, but I'm referring here to Christ and the church. Now, it is a profound mystery, the union of a man and a woman. Uh, Maggie Gallagher, in writing uh, a tremendous book entitled The Enemies of Eros, and it's a basically secular book. There's no religious reference in it. But it was amazing that she said, the desire for sexual union to be joined as husband and wife, it is the desire of one soul to enter the soul of another. The desire to break the boundaries of the flesh altogether. That is an amazing statement from someone writing in a secular context. And what Paul says, reflecting the original statement of God in Genesis, is that the two do break the boundaries of the flesh. That through this physical union, they, in a whole new sense, truly become one and are regarded as one. So much so that Paul can make this statement. He who loves his wife, verse 28, loves himself. Amazing that you can't even think of her as separate from you anymore. You can't even think of it her and me anymore in a certain sense. It's always us. I can never think of her without it being a regard for myself. And yet, he says, after talking about this, rooting it in Genesis, saying this mystery is profound. And you think he's primarily talking about the man and the woman. He says, I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul is teaching us that this. Profound union of man and woman is undergirded. in fact, it reflects it, its foundation is in the very union that God has with his people through Jesus Christ. and it's truly amazing that he would speak in these these terms that in the same way that a man loves himself in loving his wife, he says, Christ does the same thing because he has a direct analogy. Like a man loves himself. He says he never hates his own body. He nurtures it and cherishes it. He feeds his body. He takes care of his body. And he says, like Christ does the church. Why? Because it's his body. So he's saying, in a very real sense, Christ, in loving us, does love himself because he doesn't see us as separate any more than a man is separate from his wife. There is genuine Union. And it gets really close. It's, it's not in any way physical, if certainly not sexual, but it is as real as that union. Maybe even more profound. He truly loves us and takes us to himself and enters into us and dwells in us. It's the most intimate language possible. And it brushes right up against to that most intimate relationship of a man and a woman and says, Here, the foundation of this is Christ and the church. What a profound union that we have in Christ. This, of course, is why there is this exclusive nature for a man to love his wife. That is why that union must be within this one relationship, of course, that you join yourself to this person alone. You're committed to this person only. The physical union is a promise that I am yours and you are mine, and it is the way we express that to each other. So there is immediate application, but that's not where I'm headed. I'm trying to keep our focus in the first place on just the glorious union that we have with Christ. And then flowing from that profound union is a profound love, a profound love that Christ nourishes us and cherishes us. And you'll notice he does so. Verse 30 Because we are members of his body. And I hope that will sink in for you. Because you are a member of his body. He cannot disassociate you from himself. He cannot regard you as but one with him. As a part of him. It's because you are his body. And you think about this with yourself. Who are you concerned about in terms of some ache or pain in your body? You're most concerned about your body. You can't help but be concerned about it. You're concerned if there's, just like me, I've got, you know, a new age spot that shows up and it's like,
0: oh, <laughs> you know,
1: like a new ache that it won't go away, you know, and you think, uh-oh, I'm not going to get any better, am I, in my mid-fifties here? It's going to keep going downhill. I'm so concerned because it's my body. And you just, it's hard to be as concerned about somebody else as you are yours. Well, how glorious that he puts it in this way. That where we are concerned about our own step toe, a little cut, a rash, an inch, a bump, a burn in our bodies. We are his Body, He loves us because we are members of His body. It's a profound love because we are joined to Him and He dwells in us. We're regarded as His personal possession and treasure. And this word nourishes the idea of even bringing up children. It's the very word that's used in chapter 6 verse 4 of rearing children. So it means to supply us with everything that we need. And then the idea of cherishing means a constant concern, a tender care. So you could could summarize by saying there is a constant supply and a constant eye upon us from Christ because we are his body. So he's always supplying us with everything we need, constantly stocking the pantry of our lives, Constantly trucking in new supplies hour by hour because he really nourishes us and feeds and supplies us. The same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which says Joseph supplied his brothers with food. Jesus constantly supplies us and his eyes upon us. He knows needs that we have no idea of. And yet. He is aware of them and constantly supplies us with what we need because we are his body. And that profound love, not only is the fact that he nourishes and cherishes us, but in verse 25, he gives himself up for us. So there's this bride body picture. You can't pull them apart, just like with our own brides. They're our body as well. We're joined to them. I'm to regard her as my own body. Love her as I love my own body. And yet she is my bride. And you have the same language with Christ. He lays down His life for His bride in his burning passion to have her and rescue her from her danger and her destruction and her corruption, even though that corruption was heinous and obnoxious to him, he still loved her and sacrificed for her, that he might have her, that he might cleanse her, that he might prepare her for an eternity of marriage with him. That's the language, that's the feel, and it's it's put in the very context of a husband giving himself for his wife. That's the basis, of course, for the husband's love. And so, unlike we, who at some point generally have a burning passion, and we beside ourselves over this girl that we've met, we can't... Stop thinking about her. We can't sleep at night. We break out in a cold sweat when we see her. We don't even know how to talk to her sometimes. All these things that happen to us. If I could put it in a holy way, he never stops caring for us with that kind of burning passion. The same passion with which he gave himself to die for us, that burning passion continues to the day we die. It never, ever lets up. And it's joined with the perfect maturity and wisdom and patience that we grow into as we love in a more mature way. But he has the whole ball of wax, mature, wise, patient, burning, youthful passion for us because we are his bride. So there is this profound union and flowing from this, this profound Love that he has for us, and therefore such a profound outcome in what he does for us, a profound outcome because he says he gave himself, and then immediately the purpose for that giving that here's why here's the result that he might sanctify her, and it'd be better not to say having cleansed, but cleansing it, it, it It tends to go along, right along with the verb. He sanctified her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. So this washing is most likely not referring to baptism because it never says that the whole church universal was baptized in that way. But it refers to the spiritual cleansing that we have uh, through the Holy Spirit, in fact, the water metaphor was likely taken from Ezekiel sixteen when uh, Israel is pictured as someone fresh from childbirth, lying basically in the dirt in her blood, lost and helpless and and, and sure to die, and he takes her up and cleanses her and scrubs her and puts robes on her. And makes her his queen and embraces her. And of course, the preparation is then, what does she do? She commits adultery with the idols against this one who became her husband so profoundly. And that's likely the background behind this. That we were taken up with him, by him, and we were washed, you see. We were cleansed. This initial cleansing of our lives... Through what? Through the wonderful Gospel. The Word. That's the cleansing. That's how we were set apart and cleansed. It's through the Word of the Gospel. The good news of forgiveness is what brings about the cleansing of our lives. The Word in its promise of God's love in Christ. That's what cleanses us of living for ourselves. That's what cleanses us from living for the lies of this world. And that little scripture song, Shout to the Lord, I love the last line. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. No idol, nothing this world can offer me. No relationship, no thrill, nothing can compare to this promise of You that is given to me through Jesus Christ in the Gospel. And so the promise of the Word is what purifies us, sets us apart, cleanses and washes our life. It gives us new desires, washes us of old desires and fears, And unhinges us from ourself, which we need to be unhinged from. And we begin to soar and we're liberated because of that word that cleanses us. It's really God's glory in Christ that cleanses us. (laughs) Isn't that a, a great thought? The glory and majesty of Jesus cleanses your life from all things so that more and more you're able to give yourself To His will, you're able to give yourself to love because you're more and more impacted and drink more and more of the love the gospel reveals. What a great bath. (laughs) Isn't it the most wonderful thing when you've been out working in the yard for all day long, especially in Fort Worth in July or August, and you're just dying and you take a long, cold drink of water and you step under that shower and you know you felt it. Just all of that washing off and the clean, and you're not sticky anymore. You're clean. How are we cleansed? How are we washed? What do we get to be under constantly? It's the glory of the love of God shown us in Christ. That ever, initially and continues to bathe us. And what is all this ultimately for? It's ultimately for this grand presentation that he's going to make of us. Yeah, you're you're being prepared for a glorious presentation. In fact, you could say this is the apex of the history of the world as we know it. It's going to be the presentation of the children of God in that final day. It even says in Romans 8 that the creation waits as... And it's the idea is, it's waiting on tiptoes, looking over the hills at what's coming. It's the revealing of the children of God in glory. And that will spell the liberation of creation itself. This word present is used of presenting Jesus in the temple or, or the Lord Jesus presenting himself <clears throat> after the resurrection. It's used, you're familiar with this one, Romans 12.1, present yourself as a living sacrifice before God. Or we, as elders, in, uh, we're, we're seeking to present everyone mature in Christ. And other passages talk about this same thing of the presentation of us in eternity. I love this as a kind of metaphor. Now, this isn't referring directly to our presentation but I love it as a metaphor. And it uses the same word. When uh, Dorcas was healed by Peter in Acts 9, he says, He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints, he presented her alive. And I love that as an analogy that one day we'll be presented before him alive beautified, glorified, no sin. He says we will not have a spot or wrinkle. The idea there is a woman with perfect skin, just perfect, clean, ivory skin. There's no wrinkle, no blemish whatsoever. And that's used as an analogy of the fact that we are pure through and through. We're glorious, holy, blameless in that day. He will present us. That's what he's about. Therefore, you see, he's always working and forming and molding and chiseling and preparing and crafting. And to take the analogy a little further, like an artist stepping back to see how it's going and add this in it. Of course, he doesn't have to do that. But that's the picture. We are, he's already said in chapter 2, verse 10, his workmanship. And it's as though each one of us is an amazing mural that would spread over a whole wall because each of us is that complicated and the painting that he is involved is that glorious and expressive. Uh, we, like you perhaps, have really become fans of the food channel because I'm a glutton, okay? <laughs> no, but it's so easily so easily drawn in and I'm amazed at these programs where uh, four different cooks have to present, say, a seven course meal to the judges in this grand presentation. And we saw one a few nights ago of wedding cakes. And there were four or five astounding wedding cakes that they worked for six solid hours. Design and interest, intricacy and beauty that you could hardly imagine. And they finally set them forth. And I thought, that's exactly. A picture of what Christ is doing. And every design is going to be different. There's going to be a common majesty and purity and beauty. But the way it's expressed in each one of us will be a separate item of loveliness presented in that day. Can you imagine his setting forth the final workmanship of each one of us with this moral richness and beauty? I saw a little picture on the internet of a, a frog in a tree. And you know, there are tree frogs. And, uh, and it was all cast in greens, the whole thing. And, the, and it was about, it was a study in color. And he said, Believe it or not, there are 16,000 color pigments in this. I thought, it was this big 16,000 different colors. And there will be millions of different colors making up a glorious spectrum of beauty. You are a presentation piece. And when you watch those people preparing those cakes, man, they never stop for a minute. They're not sitting there reading a magazine for 15 minutes, you know, and going and having a cigarette outside for another 30 minutes. They're just constantly at it until the very last second they're making final adjustments. And I think of our gracious Lord and His almighty power and His infinite concern and love hovering over each one of us with no less, I mean, infinitely more concern than anybody could be over a cake in a, in a contest. His infinite concern for the details of our life. Oh, He loves us and gave Himself so that He might... Sanctify us and present us without spot or wrinkle. He takes no off days. He doesn't walk away for even a few seconds. He's always, always at work. And brother or sister, to the one who believes that, there will be constant transformation in your life. Constant transformation. And finally then, a profound imitation. A profound imitation. What he says to husbands here in verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It's taken really from a more general command. If you back up to chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, it's um, it's practically the same uh, command. And the be imitators of God. Notice it says therefore be imitators of God. Look what comes before verses thirty one and thirty two of chapter four. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then. He says, be imitators of God. To be imitator of God is to be kind to one another and to be tenderhearted, to forgive one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. And so we are what he has done for us. We not only copy it in kind of a distant way to say I'm going to be like him, but we've been impacted. He's done it for us. He's loved me in that way. And so, it motivates me to love others. I tend to want to give that love that I've experienced and I'm enabled and strengthened to love. I'm humbled by the way He's loved me even though I've sinned. And it humbles me before other people. It gives me joy and relief that He has forgiven me. And this gives me strength and motivation to love others. And so, in Christ... I'm able to imitate this God. And He... So, looking back at uh, this verses 31 and 32, I imitate Him by doing the very things He does. And isn't that an obvious indication that you you know God through what Christ has done? Because He says, just as God has forgiven you, so imitate Him. You imitate him by seeing what he's done in Christ, by seeing what Christ has done for you. There you imitate God as well. And so God then becomes the prototype for us. You know what that is? They're working on a prototype T-35, I mean that uh, T-35 training, uh, F-35, uh, or a prototype of, say, a Corvette, Uh, And a new Corvette is, is built, but then they try to work out all the details and the bugs of that thing. And then they begin to make it. Well, in the way we treat each other, we are to be no less than little versions of God himself. Imitate him. Be a little version of the way God has dealt with you. Because he's been kind to you and tender-hearted, and he's forgiven you. So imitate him. And most of us men would be amazed if we came before a Corvette model, say it was this big. And the closer you looked, you couldn't believe when you opened the little hood that there was an exact replica of a, of a Corvette engine. And then you're all sitting there, look at those seats, man, they're real leather. Oh, that is so cool. There's leather on the little steering wheel, oh, I can't believe it. Look the little gear shift. look you know every detail you're just amazed. The more you look at it, the more you're amazed, because here's a model of it. And you get the application. Isn't it wonderful that we might could be a little model and in a smaller, finite way, people begin to see the detail of our lives and say, "Why, wow, that looks like God?" There's something more than a normal human being here. There's something divine. There's something glorious. What is this? Look at this model. It's not that we do it for that reason. But what does Jesus say? Let your light so shine that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But we only can do this because we are children. Look at verse 1. As beloved children. A new relationship was needed so that we could begin to imitate him. Through his death and resurrection, we are given this new relationship. So as Lincoln says, not Abraham, another, um, the children live their lives out of the love they have already experienced from their father. And so we can truly imitate him. And this is glorious and hopeful to us because we're like a dog on a leash, and I mean a pretty short leash in terms of our love. You know, you think, I'm going to care for this person, I'm going to care for my wife, I'm going to care for my husband, and bam, you get choked by your selfishness. You get choked by your self-concern, your self-protection, your fears, your, your other desires, your pride. Everything in you just jerks you back. But by God's grace, as you're made a child of God and you drink in his love, that cord is just let out further and further and it's going to be cut completely one day. And we can more and more be like a dog or antelope or horse or cheetah that is set free in a field because we're made to love like that. And of course, especially, and I just touch on this at the end, he zeroes in on the husband, doesn't he? Interesting, he talks about wives, uh, slaves, masters, children, parents. But the one person, even after this general command of love, which is we all obey it, husbands, love your wife. Not self-assertion, husbands, but self-sacrifice. You and I have the blessed privilege of bringing the heavenly life of Jesus Christ into the home. The heavenly life of Christ. That light. The clear waters of Christ's love into the relationship. To refresh her. Encourage her. Comfort her. Understand her needs and desires and gifts and strengths. To protect her. To defend her. To work for her constant good. To build her up. To give her hope. That is to be like Jesus. How do you respond to her? How do you look at her? How do you speak to her? How do you remember her and think of her? How do you tenderly care for her? How do you attend her needs? How do you give her relief and rest? How do you pray for her? How do you lead her by your example? And I want to just say this. If you want to be a father to your children, Be a husband to your wife. You want to be Father's Day, a father to your children. Be a husband to your wife. That's what they need more than anything else, is to see that precious love of Jesus Christ expressed to their own mother. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace in Christ to us. Bless us that we will walk in this profound love, enjoying this profound union that we have with you, seeing this profound outcome in our life of ever-increasing cleansing. And Lord, to have this great privilege, this profound imitation of none other than God himself who has loved us in Christ Jesus. Bless us that we will reflect your glory and honor. Amen.